Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, we can hear you, Seth. All right, good. Um, and uh, and can, can we go for the trifecta? Ian, you there? Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's great. No, I it was. This is like loaded with bad omens. And on the one hand, like, look, it's very on brand for us to always start the space complaining about Twitter Spaces. But I started the space, and the app immediately crashed. And I'm like, oh god! <laughs> like, it li- literally lasted not a second. So I, I mean, I, for the first time, I had to reconnect to the space before I could even make you a co-host. And then I go to like start Twitter again, and it's doing one of these things. Can I can just? Like, may I complain about something for a moment? Oh, the whole, uh, please, fine, fine, fine the, if you must. Right, right, this whole like, oh, we've added this new future feature that we want to explain to you right now, and then you got like, I uh, got it. You, I gotta like click on got it. It's like you got me to. Like, I don't get it. No, I don't have it right now because I'm not bothering to read this right now because your app has crashed. And I need to restart it. I'm not interested in your new feature right now. Twitter, not now. You sound like you're a thousand years old. Do I sound like a thousand years old? Yeah, it's no, also I, so it's also so odd to hear you complain about something. I feel like this is a first for me. <laughs> okay, look, look, look starting look. off with a bang. <laughs> look, um, all right. Well, then let, let, let us let us not uh, let me stop complaining about the the price of toothpaste and inflation. Um, and uh, instead, uh, welcome Seth and Ian. Um, so I'm super excited to have you both. I, so Adam, did you? I, I don't know if you had seen Seth's piece i'm not sure if you'd um i i know i hadn't um but i i mean i loved this piece so i mean first of all just to get the get the un i mean we're a private company i feel like no disclosures are actually required but just in the interest of full transparency um seth you are uh, you and eclipse obviously are uh the the uh, were the lead on our seed and have been investors in oxide huge believers in oxide so uh, on the one hand we are entirely biased because obviously you are terrific venture capitalists. <laughs> and you, you have exquisite taste in companies, clearly. Um, but on the other hand, I, I, I think that the, uh, you know, Ian is not an investor in Oxide. And, um, you know, Ian... I can say you, Exactly. You can say whatever you are. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, no, I'm here to explain why I passed on your company and why I saw countless red flags when... Uh, um, but, um, I, I think that, you know, there's a reason why Eclipse is an investor in Oxide, because I think one of the things, you know, one of the myths that entrepreneurs are told is that when you are raising, you know, you're raising from VCs and you're going to go out to Sand Hill and you want to, you know, kind of keep everyone in this moving at the same pace in your process. And it totally factors out the fact that it's like, actually, some investors are going to be more interested in you than others. And the investors that are interested are going to move much faster than the investors that are disinterested. And uh, because there are going to be investors that have been kind of waiting for a company like yours or for whom you hit the thesis. And I think it's fair to say that that's true of Eclipse and Oxide. Um, certainly when, st- when we came to you, it felt like it felt like someone let oxygen into the room. It's like we were finally talking to a venture capitalist who really understood hard tech. Um, so I was really happy to see this blog entry. I think it's a terrific blog entry, um, and th- there are a bunch of things that that I like about it. One of them that I liked about it actually is that you sent me to Ian's blog entry, um, which I also really really love. Um, and before we get into it, Seth, just one thing I want to hit off the jump that I love is that I, because I think that Steve, you know, Steve's here and can, you know, we can obviously can speak for himself in this regard, but 
I feel that, when, well, first of all, and Adam, you, you were an entrepreneur. Did you know you wanted to start a company before you knew what you wanted to do? I think that that's a common, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, I mean, I think they were very much intertwined. I, I think I knew I wanted to start a company if I figured out what I wanted sure. to do. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? totally. I think, there, I think there are those entrepreneurs who, who you know, I, I've met plenty of folks who want to be at the head of the line, uh, want to start a company kind of uh, irrespective of what it is. Right. And that was definitely not Right. Me. And I think that like we, Steve and I knew we wanted to start a company together, but didn't know what we wanted to go do. And I don't think that this is that uncommon where it's like, I know like who I want to do it with, or I, I think the time is right in, in my life, or this is what I want to go do. But I'm kind of like looking, I, I'm trying to think about ideas and, you know, Steve and I were really, you know, Steve, I, I hope that neither of us will ever say aloud some of the dumbass ideas that we had <laughs> when uh, they were not hard tech ideas. They were they were not. They were they were embarrassingly off, off off thesis ideas. And but I think in our case, it was like, no, we want to start a company, do it together. And the kind of company that we wanted to build that did not necessitate the explicit product that company was going to go make. And to your point, thank God we did not uh, move forward with any of those early ideas. And, and uh, but I think, but I think though, and I, just to interject here, yeah. like, and you talked about this recently on a podcast, right? There was a moment where somebody, you know, he who shall not be named, <laughs> freed you guys up in your creative process to like dream big. Th that's exactly right? it. So like, hey, hey, if capital isn't an issue, or you know, we could remove interest from an investor or a set of investors off the table, what should we go build? Yes. And I feel like that was a useful exercise for you guys to go pencil in on, you know, what, what then became Oxide, but more importantly, what, what initiated, what kicked off is like, Hey, this is something of significance, right? That's what I'm trying to speak to and kind of pay homage to. And this, you know, from this talk from, from Richard Hammy is like, People should work on the hard things because the hard things are meaningful and important and inspire others to come along on the journey. And ultimately, you know, if you work on those things and whether or not you're successful or not, those are the things that you look back on as being, you know, the singular moments or singular you know, period in your life that you're most proud of. And, you know, that's I, correct if I'm wrong. That's kind of like where you guys were at when you said, shit, should we go do this wild, crazy thing that then has now become Oxide Computer Company? Totally. And part of it, Seth, what I love about your blog entry is it says exactly that, that like you perspective and entrepreneur don't be afraid to dream big don't be afraid to take on the hard problems and uh, you know what would you do and i remember and i don't even know like the actually i do know unfortunately because i looked it up i thought adam do you have this thing where like you think you, you take a single person and kind of every piece of cult, uh, like aphorism you attribute to that person do you have this my my, it's Ben Franklin, Mark Twain, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Isn't that like are, isn't that like the trifecta of like at, and so in particular, like what would you do if you were unafraid of failing? Which I thought was Eleanor Roosevelt. As it turns out, it's it was a televangelist who said that. <laughs> so I, it's like, I, and I, which I got, and I like going deep into his Wikipedia page to see if this guy got caught up in any scandal before. Like, am I like even allowed to hold on to this? Idea? But I do think it's really useful. And Seth, kind of like, I feel like part of your blog entry, part of the emotional tone of it is, what is the hard problem that you would solve if you were unafraid of your ability to raise? Like, let's assume you could raise capital what hard problem would you go solve? And that is super liberating. But, 
and this is again, this is where I want to get into kind of the meat of your piece. It doesn't mean that like it, every hard problem is a venture business. And, you, you know, there are certain kinds of hard problems that are going to be, so maybe this is, you know, I, I, I love your obviously peer quote, Seth. So I don't know if you want to kind of start there as <laughs> the, 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 the important rubric that you use when looking at, at hard tech. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, typically, and Ian, Ian, you know, I'll give a shout out to Ian. One of the reasons why, you know, I love Ian is because, you know, we're, we've been kind of on this lonely island for a decade or more at this point, investing in these <laughs> types of companies, sometimes together, sometimes not. But I think he and I are, or Cantos and Eclipse are, are uh, you know, uh, brother, brother and sister companies, so to speak. Um, Very true. You know, it's, it's, it's not to say that, like, the companies, these hard tech companies aren't going to require significant amounts of capital. Um, in fact, I think most companies to get to a place where they really are breakout and have significant scale and have the ability to be a generational company do require hundreds of millions of dollars of capital. Um, and so like people shouldn't be afraid of that. What I think we're trying to get to at the crux of this piece is like, hey, how do we go shed some light on, you know, the non-commercial SaaS metrics, uh, you know, oriented companies and give kind of a better framework for, how do you create inflection points of value through the early stages of development of some of these more challenging, you know, full stack oriented technical solutions so that you have focus, you know, clarity of focus. You can, you can orient the, you know, the resources that you have in the balance sheet as efficiently as possible to hit those next inflection points. And, you know, oftentimes that, that endeavor, that journey starts off with a keen understanding of like, Hey, this is a big problem, but it's also an unbelievable market opportunity. Right. There are a broad swath of customers that if I solve this problem for them are willing to pay me a premium for the solution that I'm providing. And so, you know, when I talk about, you know, Pierre and like the, you know, the, the way he's pounded many lessons into me over the years, <laughs> um, you know, this this is a key one. It's right. It's like and it seems obvious in retrospect, but like most companies don't do it. It's like, hey, go solve a problem that somebody wants to pay you for the solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that that's novel. Okay. Interesting. It 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 sounds novel, but um, it's it it sort of is. I mean, we're being funny, but um, you know what what I what I what I um tried to do in in my financial argument for deep tech piece um was articulate sort of how how we invest at Cantos today, um, which is really an attempt um. Maybe I should give a little background. I didn't have like a hardware background like Seth. You know, he he was coming from GE to GE Ventures to Eclipse. Um, I came at deep tech from fintech. <laughs> I was an early employee at SoFi and have always just been fascinated with how we solve big problems as a species and 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 uh, you know sci-fi like cutting edge tech. And over time, I sort of had had a greater onus to justify moving from investing originally in fintech and sort of SaaS where I was making angel investments and where, you know, we were a little more broad when I got Cantos off the ground six years ago um, and was sort of like one by one dispelling these like myths about deep tech. I mean, I didn't know that much about investing. So I was just listening to other well-known investors and, and they were all saying things like, you know, hardware is hard. It's really <sighs> you know, longer timelines, longer sales cycles. It's going to take a lot more capital. The upside maybe isn't as big. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, taking notes. You, you're a really good investor. You must be right about all these things. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, not invest in hardware. And then I was like, well, wait a second. If 
all of you are like categorically saying you're not investing in these areas and there's any opportunity <laughs> to be had there, then maybe it's a differentiated approach to investing. And in fact, there can be more, you know, return on investment. And, um, and uh, I think all those are myths, but approached in a certain way. So, so what I came to understand that led a lot of VCs to not be investing in hardware and bio was that for 20 years, the asset class has been punch drunk on software, which yeah. is really amazing in a lot of ways. I mean, it can scale fast, really high gross margins. You can build strong network effects, such as you have enduring modes. Like th there's a reason why it, it attracted so much capital but venture capital got started investing in hardware and then sort of took a detour through software for so long that people forgot how to do hardware because all those people are retired. Um, and so we're sort of rediscovering it. And, and, and that pendulum swinging was once described in an interview with Tom Perkins where he said, look, it, throughout the history of funding technology, you sort of have this pendulum swinging between predominantly taking market risk and predominantly taking technical risk. Well, with, things like developer tools, cloud, cloud computing, you know, it became so easy to build software that the question for most startups wasn't, can you build the product? It was, does anybody want this? Yeah. <laughs> and so Sandhill Road for 20 years optimized around taking predominantly market risk and almost no technical risk. Um, deep tech, I think because you are taking a lot more technical risk, the more responsible way to approach it is to attempt to invest in companies where you are minimizing market risk to offset that technical risk. You can definitely take both, but I think what, what Seth um, sort of uh, described there, he like glossed over, I think a lot of assumptions that get made today. But anyway, that's yeah, well, totally. And I think actually technical risk is so foreign to most venture that they don't actually even understand where it exists. I mean, one of the things that was frustrating to us when we were initially raising is people didn't think that there was any technical risk in Oxide. And I'm like, am I not explaining this properly? I mean, and on the one hand, you know, if a VC says, oh, there's no technical risk, you don't want to be like, hey, let me stop you right there, pal. There is unbounded technical risk in this thing. I mean, you don't want to be like, let me give you many more reasons to be concerned. But the reality was there was enormous technical risk in Oxide. And so I think, Ian, I think you're right. I think that they, they are so unaccustomed to technical risk. I mean, on the bio side, Silicon Valley is, understands technical risk. But I think on the kind of the old school technical side. Well, more like Cambridge. Yeah, right? fair. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's fair. The, yeah, yeah, easy for me to say because I'm not raising around as a bio company. But the, um, they do not understand technical risk. And it is really frustrating, especially because, and I also like, Hardware is hard. It's like, can we stop saying that, please? I mean, yes, on the one hand, hardware is hard. Software is hard, too. Also, is software soft? I mean, that's also true, I guess. But like this kind of like this parroting back of hardware is hard because the other thing that has happened is hardware is easier than it has ever been. Abs absolutely. And this is the thing I think that like was the key insight, one of the, one of the insights upon which Eclipse has founded is like, the, you know, it's easier and more capitally, capital efficient to build these these full stack hardware software companies than it ever has been in human history. Yes. You know, you get you get excited about, you know, off the shelf you know, component performance to cost, you know, inverse correlation is unbelievable. Right. You look at the drop in cost of every single off the shelf sensor, computer architecture that you ever wanted to use in an integrated system, the rapid prototyping tool. Totally. You know, the ability to leverage open source software, the reality of like see it, see and, and the, coming down stack yeah. to like work with earlier stage companies, like 
it's easy. It's still not easy. Right. But building anything in consequence <laughs> right, is right, exactly. So, right. and the other thing I think is like, like is ridiculous is like to say that these are, you know, hard, just hardware companies and just companies are like one time widget sales for 20% gross margin is an absolute misnomer as well. I mean, what an insult to Sean at Oxide, who's building some of the best software, you know, for this industry or how, you know, along with a team and building some of the best software for this industry that we've seen in the last 10 years. Right. So these two kind of like areas of the stack need to work in harmony to deliver value to the end customer right and when you get it right you have more control over the development cycle you have a, a greater ability to provide value to that customer and ultimately you've got more defensibility it's around totally. the business model than if you were just slicing off a piece of it totally and said so it was so funny because i remember, and steve i know you remember this incredibly vividly as well i mean i know exactly where i was when we were first presenting to eclipse and we are kind of starting to make this case and you and the partners at Eclipse are like interrupting us to like finish the sentence. And I just remember the line that 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 I think it was Greg had. Someone had like, yeah, you know, we did, we've looked at the you know eighteen of the twenty largest companies ever built have had a hardware and a software component. Like, this is not. I mean, I mean, the thing, that, the thing that we like, the, the thing that we talk about, right? It's like seventy five percent of global GDP exists in the physical world right. industries. How are you going to touch those without a physical layer? Right. How are you going to really get into the bowels of supply chain and manufacturing and next generation compute and better medical devices, all this kind of stuff without, you know, cinching your belt tight and figuring out how to navigate hardware design cycles and procurement and supply chain and manufacturing. Right. And these are all. Well, it drives I also remember nuts. that we we left that meeting saying, thank God we just found our people. And also we need to get that slide. Yeah. That's not those 18 to 25 <laughs> companies. <laughs> I mean, it but drives I guess, me crazy also, that all all the funds that say, you know, we don't we don't invest in hardware. Hardware is hard. We don't do that. They're like, you know, all the quotes on their website are from Steve Jobs. And oh, thank you, Ian. <laughs> thank you, Ian. <laughs> it's, oh, it's time to build. It's time to build. It's and was, it's a moonshot. It's a moonshot. Really, it's a moonshot. Okay, can we have like an Apollo program historical review, please? I mean, no, you know, I, I love it. It's like you, you and I almost feel like you, you may, if you are not going to fund hardware, you may never quote Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. I'm sorry. I mean, it's like it's like you know, I don't make up the rules. These are the these are the new VC rules. Um, and as actually, as long as I'm on this particular rant, software is eating the world. The software companies that are held up as the uh, this is the future. Adam, I know you. Uh, Adam, do you know the companies that are in that essay? If you read to the bottom of that essay. Oh, I remember it's some it's uh, it's like that, it's like Groupon, Groupon or, or something. Yeah, it, 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 right. it's Groupon. It's Foursquare. And the, I mean, it, it's it's these companies. It's Zynga. It, yeah. it, and it's like it's like all companies you're needing to look up on Wikipedia <laughs> to remember. Totally. Right? And, and yeah. not that they didn't build big businesses <laughs> and not that they weren't important or what have you. But the but it, it's it's hard to argue that you've built things that are really lasting. And obviously, software is incredibly important, but it's incredibly important stuff. As you say, it's incredibly important when you made it with the physical world. And it just feel mm. it, it, it's. It, you know, and Ian, I think you did a very good job of like, because it is super frustrating to us. It's obviously frustrating to you as well. Although actually, I guess it sounds you know, like it's not frustrating. It's like, no, it's not frustrating to me at all because I get to go into this. Like, it's great to me that no one else is willing to invest because I'm able to come in. It's like, I don't have to compete with all these folks. Um, but the, you know, you, you highlighted a couple of things that I thought were really interesting about like, I think you had four factors. Do you want to elaborate on those a little bit? Because I thought that was really interesting in terms of 
like why why it is so important uh, and also kind of explaining also why effectively Sandhill is not investing in hard tech. Um, yeah, and I do, I mean, to be clear, I do need other people to be investing <laughs> right. in companies. You know, we're, we, we haven't announced it yet, but we're investing out of our third fund, which is 50 million. So like, we, we, we need someone else to do the series A and B and C. Um, so I desperately want more people to be investing in this. And besides, you know, it's good for the world. Um, and so, um, uh, okay, to, to the, the four points, um, you mean in, in the yeah the, the, like, like, the, your four yeah. arguments because all of those really resonated with with me um or I should say three of the four but I'll let you elaborate and then we can talk about them um as to like why it's an opportunity one is what I got out earlier which is that Santo Road sort of has a blind spot here just because they've been specializing around software for so long the craft of of mastering technical risk rather than market risk has like sort of been lost um. The, um, you know, the, the next, I think, is, uh, was uh, diversification, like, um, and, and by that, I mean, not just within your portfolio, but if you look through to the end customers, a lot of software looks a heck of a lot like a house of cards built on venture dollars. And if you have a contraction like you did in early 2000, or in the past six months in software, then it all sort of like cascades because, it, it, you know, I, there's a correction in e-com and then all the e-com startups are correcting and then their cloud providers are correcting. It's just all sort of cascades. Whereas in hard tech, a lot of times, and maybe this isn't as applicable, applicable to Oxide, though you will serve, you know, industrial customers, not just information technology. Um, you know, our portfolio, they serve deep tech, quote unquote, is thought of as a specialty, but like, I don't feel like that because at any given moment, I'm looking into how we make cement or steel or how you generate power for, you know, commercial real estate or mining or it's like all these different different areas. And so your end customer diversification it, is a real well, And you know, I love the fact that you are like uh, you have a tweet from like January something. I can't remember the exact date, but you're like, look, I'm not saying it is April of 2000, but what if it is like, what if this is the top? And I'm like looking back and I'm like, wait a minute, was that the top? Did you actually call the top? I think you might've, uh, I think <laughs> I, you were very present. Things have started, go, you know, going, going uh, sideways in, uh, I think mid, mid November, um, Keith Raboy probably called, called the top as much as I hate There you go. Um, so, I, so, so you, but, but the, very important, you've got diversification, super important. Uh, then you've got a third factor that really resonates with oxide. Um, yeah, I think I, I refer to this as, as talent arbitrage. Like, you know, I haven't run the, the numbers on paid differences, but um, uh, or, or tenure or ease of recruiting any of those metrics. But it certainly feels in our portfolio like they have an easier time recruiting talent no because yeah. you know you, you're some combination of working on more interesting technical problems, which engineers tend to prefer spending their time on, uh, and a, a, let's call it world positive mission um, that, you know, if it's, if it's something doing something really cool that is better for the world versus like, I don't know, just another SaaS company, yep. then 
you know, the cool company tends to win that talent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and sometimes can even pay less. Uh, yeah, and I think that, I mean, not so much on the pay less front, but more on the, the I mean, we, I mean, it's, as we, you know, we talked about our compensation model a lot, and we want to make sure that, that people are compensated fairly and uniformly and at Oxide. We've got to, obviously gone into that a lot. But what we have found at Oxide is that the, the, the talent that we've been, I mean, we're unusual, I guess, if you compare certainly to SaaS companies, and that we're very oversubscribed. We got a lot more people. The, the hardest thing about Oxide has been that we've got more people who want to work at Oxide, who would succeed at Oxide, than we can possibly accommodate. And that's not common for startups writ large, but I don't think it's as uncommon for hard tech startups. I think that hard, uh, hard tech startups, you can really make a pitch and also i think the kind of technologist you're attracting is someone who's seasoned it's someone who has got you know who's done certain of these things before i mean seth is that hold true for do you see that across your portfolio i mean i not to say that it's easy to hire of course but. yeah i mean i mean in in this like framework that we put out some of these less quantitative things we talk about you know cultural mission um you know the, the, the mission of the organization and the cultural competitive advantage began to take shape I think that like you have to be super intentional and thoughtful about how you set that up from the beginning. But if, you know, two ish years into the journey, you've got a very clearly articulated mission that inspires that the intention behind that mission is to go solve a big problem. It's, you know, categorically, categorically can be defined as like a lucrative market opportunity. And it's one that attracts people that want to come there and do the best work of their career with other like-minded, intentional values oriented folks. Yeah. You can begin to build, build a foundation that creates a huge tailwind for hiring yeah. through the next few stages of the business. Right. And you can, you can say, Hey, look, come here and be a part of this journey. Come here and be a part of this AT. And you begin to start punching above your weight class with regard to the executives and the technical and commercial and, 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 you know, operations talent you're able to bring on board. And it creates this, you know, kind of organizational momentum that can help you get through some of the, some of the more challenging times. Totally. And I think that, you know, the famous, you know, Steve Jobs landing John Scully at Apple, like, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your career? And it's like, Amen. And sugar, I'm sorry, sugar water right now, it's SaaS, crypto, like that is the sugar water that we have now. For you want to you wanna optimize ad clicks or like get dog walkers <laughs> more efficiently to your house? Like go for it. You want to like solve modern day supply chain crises that we're seeing play out in front of us right now? Like come join us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you look and I also feel it's like it's, you know, you've got kind of the right firm that you're talking to when you're looking across a portfolio. It's certainly true for, for Eclipse and Cantos, where you look across a portfolio and you're like, wow, I think I like I want to go like talk to these companies like these companies are all if I, you know, obviously I'm not looking for a job. But if I were like, I would actually start by going to some of these hard tech uh, VC firms and walking the portfolio because the portfolio is really exciting and uplifting. But I think, but but I think what's lost in that, or not lost, but we, what we need to mention, right, is like you got to build a great business, yep. too, right? And so, yeah. you know, like, it turns out some of these ad click businesses, or like it right. out some of the SaaS businesses, these are, these are great businesses. Right? Right. There's a phenomenal business out there. So, so we we in many ways have, you know, we got to not not get on our soapbox too much. We need to go out and build build a great enduring you know, a uh, business model with strong unit, unit economics and, and strong expansion through within customers and, you know, the ability to reduce the cost over time, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Are we in a board meeting? Is this uh, is, 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 if Pear shows up here, I'm going to be very <laughs> I, upset. I, 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 uh, but like the, these types of things. And so, you know, it, 
the great thing about it is like, that's not, you know, uh, uh, there is a playbook. There's a set of methodologies that you can run that enables you to build that type of business. And while the last 20 years of venture may have gotten too addicted to the application layer, the software application layer, there's 50, 60 years of execution in early stage and and, and early stage startups and early stage venture um, that gives us great examples historically of how to go do this effectively. Um, and so, like, you know, that's, you know, one of the privileges of my career is to work with a guy like Pierre, but also my partner, Greg Ryko, and kind of like, I love that, you know, ne- late 1980s, early 90s, you know, semiconductor networking, those types of companies, because, man, they were just ruthless in their execution and along the way built wonderful business models. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, so to someone just starting out, who's like, you know, I I've got the ability to solve a hard tech problem. I'm interested in this. What guidance do you give about like how, you know, and I think this is the, the Pierre quote, right. Of markets, markets, markets. I mean, is, is that, would that be the guidance that you would give to a would be entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you want to start by like, what's, what's, you know, similar to what you guys said, right? Like if we, if, if we could do anything, what would we go work on? Right. And then once you've kind of like centered in on, Hey, this is, you know, this is something that we can build. It's not, you know, research oriented or we have a little bit more of a bias towards engineering execution versus research, research execution. I'm happy to go into, you know, kind of how we think about that. But once you say like, Hey, this is something that we could build. Then you want to lean into the market. You want to go talk to customers like, hey, what's is this a problem for you today? How acute is that problem? How many customers out there are experiencing that problem? If I were to solve that problem with a solution that looks like X, Y, Z, you know, what might you be willing to, to pay for that? Um, and so you through that exploration, you can start to do the deep work on the market side to understand kind of that MRD to PRD process, right? That market requirements to product requirements process. That's exactly what, you know, you, you guys did, right? And now you guys also have the, the experience of 20, 20 years building in this category, right? But if you guys were, were fresh off the boat, right, you, you'd probably start with a similar kind of design council-oriented methodology. That yeah, did. but, you know, one of the things that was really frustrating to us, and frankly, it's still frustrating to us that I don't quite get, because, you know, I, we obviously totally believe in your emphasis on, on, on the markets, peers, markets, markets, markets. Um, we know that we're tacking towards a huge market. And the number of VCs that we've encountered, they're like, I don't think that market exists. And you're like, what? And I think it's because, you know, it actually was funny because we had one VC, very famous VC, call us, uh, that was felt like an unbelievable long shot for Oxide. And he called us somewhat early. He's like, hey, look, I, you know, I want to talk to your customers, you know, because we're interested. And I'm like, you guys are such a long shot. And I, you know, ultimately they didn't get over the line. So we were right on that. But I'm like, look, I, you know, we, the, our customers are, you know, kind of, we, we don't want to have, you know, 20 BCs talking about. So if we know, if that's like your last hurdle, fine. Otherwise, and he like kind of cut me off. He's obviously a great venture capitalist. He's like, no, 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 you're right. You're right. You know what? I shouldn't have even asked. You're totally right. I will go do my own research. I, something, Seth, I have to say that you do, and Ian, I'm going to presume that you do, and this venture capitalist does, but these are not words that come out of a venture capitalist mouth that frequently, unfortunately. Uh, maybe I'm, am I being overly cynical, Ian? Maybe I'm being too cynical. Uh, 
No, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to bash too much. I know. L- 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 listen. Okay, listen. I know. I'm. I'm certainly not perfect. Okay, either. listen. I know you both need follow-on capital. You both need syndicates, so you don't need to say it. Listen, for the record, Ian and Seth hold all of their colleagues in the highest possible esteem, and they know that every venture capitalist does all of the homework that they should do. From our experience as entrepreneurs, Thank exactly. You. Our experience as entrepreneurs, often VCs don't do their homework, and they. But but this one did. He's like, I'm going to do my homework. And then he came back and, you know, came back a week later. He's like, wow, got total conviction on the market. Boy, jeez, wow, big market. Like, okay, this is great. But we, the number of folks that we saw, and I think, Ian, it goes to a point that you made about this is not something that, that Sandhill's investing in. Be- there's a certain, like, self-fulfilling prophecy where because Sandhill is not investing in it, people are like, if this is such a big market, why is no one investing in it? And it's like, no, but this is, is that an opportunity? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> um, and Steph, I know you see that in a bunch of your big industrial markets where it's like there, there aren't necessarily VC funded companies in those markets, but there probably should be. Yeah, I mean, listen, what you guys are doing, what other companies in our portfolio are doing is hard. Like, let's not get it twisted. It's not, it's not an easy path. And you know, I've had a front row seat to the last three years for you guys and, and, and many other companies in our portfolio. And it's, it's just not easy. That doesn't mean it's not possible. And so um, what you have to get comfortable with is like, hey, how do I structure a development plan that's focused on very, very critical understanding, critical feedback that we've gleaned from the market yes. that says, hey, if we get through this, you know, as efficiently as possible, there is an awesome opportunity on the other side. And then you get to work, yes. right? You bring on, you know, the, the folks, you know, similar to the, the high quality folks that you brought on and you endeavor to persevere through all of these really hard challenges to get to that place. And, you know, we might be plus or minus off by a few quarters, but if we've structured the capitalization, you know, uh, in, in the right way, we're going to get there. Right. And so part of what it means to be an early and early stage investor in these types of companies is to like, Make the investment, get on the same side of the table and operate with the utmost conviction, knowing full well that there's going to be headwinds along the way. Totally. So uh, great to get Adam in here. So for those who don't know, Adam Jacob, uh, founder of Chef, um, current founder of the System Initiative. I mean, Adam, you've been on obviously the entrepreneur side of the table. You've raised a ton of capital um, for infrastructural software, kind of increasingly hard tech. Um, I mean, what, what have you seen out there? Um, and th- th- what's your perspective on, on hard tech VC? Um, well, I was actually mostly just thinking about your, your, your comment that you had so many folks who were like, if everybody, if there's such a big market here, like why isn't there more investment in it? Or why isn't there kind of more of that stuff happening? And like, I really think that it's, um, a little bit because people are just really bad at asking questions about what people want. Like, you know, if you think about taking something like Oxide and you go ask, you know, someone in the Fortune 500 if what they want is a rack scale computer that deploys fast, they say no, right? Um, but if you ask them, do you want your data center to operate like a public cloud, they say yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point. And how do you... So, I mean, and I mean, obviously people are bad at, at asking these questions. So what you both presumably you mean both entrepreneurs and investors are not asking necessarily the right question. I mean, sort of, but investors usually are worse than entrepreneurs. Because I mean, I say that with, with so much love in my heart for all of my investors and so many others. But like, 
you know, because you're not your your job, your job is to gain conviction, you know, inside of what an entrepreneur sees. So, you know, an entrepreneur sees the opportunity, they see the market, they see those things. Investors need to then gain conviction in those things, get on the same side of the table, I think, as Seth said, and then, you know, push toward that conviction. And I think anytime what you're building is is hard tech, whether it's hardware or software, if it's actually new and it's actually different and it's therefore also has the potential to be massive, not that not that it has to be those things to be massive. It doesn't, right? You can you can sometimes figure out how to do something just better than something did it before, right? Um, but like, then uh, ultimately, that process of getting to that conviction usually can't happen by going and asking the customer, the prospective customer, whether or not they want it, because they don't know if they want it because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so like you have to gain that conviction because you gain enough expertise about what it is, what the actual problems are that people are experiencing. What, what is the suffering that exists inside of the fortune three, you know, the global 3000 that sucks about running their data centers and the number of investors who are in data centers in the global 3000 talking to people who run them or build them or manage them is pretty small. Um, and, and yet like we ask them to judge whether or not these markets are big, are big enough. And that's why like, it's kind of amazing that venture capital exists at all, but like, it's amazing that, that you can find people who are willing to sort of jump off that metaphorical cliff well, with you. Well, like conviction, it can't be built in 48 hours by, you know, chasing growth metrics, right? The conviction exactly. is built from like digging in deeply and experiencing the problem firsthand. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't think it's fair to the venture asset class to, or the venture capital asset class to frame venture capital and its execution in the last 20 years because historically institutional venture capital was a couple of bets per year, right? A couple of investments per year, high conviction, high ownership, join the boards early and help shape the pathway to success because those institutions had a thesis about the problem that these founders were, were, were you know, going out to solve, right? And so very much it was like, hey, a meeting of the minds, right? In the moment of that a pitch, like, oh yeah, I get it. I worked on this problem too, or I've seen this experience in other you know, companies or whatever it was. And so, and you know, we got so caught up in the last few years of this cycle and we tried to squeeze so much juice out so quickly that frankly, I think a lot of venture capital firms forgot that diligence is a prerequisite. Oh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's super true. And I think, but, and, and anytime... Anytime you are have the luxury as an entrepreneur of choice about who should whose money you should take, like my advice is consistently like go with thesis. Like you need to find people whose thesis for the fund and whose thesis for everything aligns with the thesis of what it is you're trying to build, and they want to build that thesis with you. Because if you mess it up, like you need somebody who like believes that that thesis should come true. You know, that's what gets you through the flat spots and the weird bits is that you're like, yeah, yeah, no, we all agree this should exist. Right. And like, let's go make it exist. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah, of interesting things to go pull on there. I mean, Seth, one, one thing you mentioned is diligence and, you know, kind of the, the, the nature of raising is that VCs don't necessarily see the questions that other VCs are asking, or that's how it feels. Maybe this isn't true, but the, I mean, the, there is a, to me, shocking 
disparity in the quality of questions that are asked. And, you know, you kind of know when, and I mean, obviously Steve, you and I have seen this any number of times when, you know, like the, 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 the kind of the, with those first questions, you kind of know, like, okay, this is going to be a thoughtful process. This is not going to be a thoughtful process. And certainly when we hit Eclipse and then, and the, the diligence that, that, I mean, you Eclipse are doing, but you personally were doing, I mean, you were immediately asking all of the right questions about the market and digging in, in all of the right ways. And I, um, I, you know, I, I don't know, like, how do we get better? Like, how does one learn how to do diligence? Because I feel like the feedback that you get on the investment cycle is so long. I mean, is there any way we can help? Seth, are you going to have that diligence school that you can have? (laughs) A diligence camp? I I learned a lot from Ian, right? Like, Ian is one Hmm. of the more thesis-driven investors. I mean, he's been looking at the nuclear space, Ian, jump in here for years, right? And all of a sudden, it's a little bit in vogue. And so when I caught up, finally, to his thesis, he had pages and pages that he and he and uh, I think one of his one of his um, uh, partners had put together, and so my analyst Andrew is like, listening on. Yeah, and yeah shout so out Andrew. Put together put together wonderful work there, right? That I was able to kind of you know learn from, and so I think it's there are no shortcuts, right? You have to be trying to chew on a problem for some time to really be in a position where you can sit down with an entrepreneur who has gone all in, who's like burnt the lifeboats behind him, had the conversation with the spouse, said we're going to go do this. And feel like you can actually have an intelligent conversation. And that's why, like, the last few years of this, like, no diligence effort, it's just kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a fluke, right? It's a signal of the, of the peak. Yeah, you know, I appreciate your words of solace, Seth. You're saying that like this will get that that I should just like settle down, and that what I've what we've seen in the last couple of years is an aberration, and that diligent VC will return in in the coming years. Looking, you know, I, I, that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to decide which I like more. <laughs> I rather. I rather like the time when people are just throwing around money with no, no diligence. <laughs> and and asking that? questions like, "Hey, when you're raising your seed, could you raise less money and just build one rack?" Which was a legitimate <laughs> question. Oh my god. Uh, to which we obviously had to say, like, well, by the way, like the first rack is nearly all the cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting to that first rack, but yeah, I I don't know if the maybe it will just just improve with time. But okay, so here here's I I want to be you know I, I I like to you know one of my principles is is assume uh, good in, good intent uh, assume people aren't totally stupid, but um, uh, whether or not that may be the case, I like to live my life that way. So let's be let's God give bless you. credit to these. Uh, <laughs> thank you um, to to the uh, sort of high velocity investors um the way i see it is that it was possible to do very quick diligence on uh let's say SaaS companies fintech consumer companies where there there are metrics to look at and you can sort of like plug in some variables and output evaluation and you know your conviction was a bit more algorithmic or deterministic um and I think that that is actually what happened to a lot of these firms. It's a, you know, what's your ARR, what's your growth rate, what's your retention look like, you know, um, and ascribe some multiple to your, your ARR run rate based on that. Um, that is harder to do when, let's say you're predominantly taking technical risk and there's a few yeah. years of building before you go to market. It's not, you can't, there's no equation, like there's no variables to plug into your equation. And yeah. So and- you, you yeah. have to do more diligence because you got to really understand 
what you're getting yourself into. Ian, I'm glad you mentioned that because this brings us to a graph that I love that you did. And Seth, you obviously loved it too because you quoted it in, 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 <laughs> in, in it. your blog entry. Yeah, totally. Where you have the, and you know, we'll certainly get the graph up there in the notes, but this is like, I don't know if you saw, if you saw this in Seth's blog entry, this is like revenue zero for you know, the amount of time you're taking on that technical risk. And then the revenue shoots up when you bring this thing to, to, to market. So, Ian, I think that just as you say, it's like you don't have this like, oh, we have like, you know, four people and now we have six people each paying, you know, $1.99 a month. It's like, no, 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 that's not the model for hard tech. It's going to look different from that. I mean, well, we're, I'll, we're I'll, I'll have one more like minor defense of the like fast capital deployment venture capitalists. I didn't have a ton of meetings with them, but I have had a few. And at least one of them I felt like was as clear about their conviction as any like high diligence conviction investor I've ever seen. Like like five minutes in the meeting, he was like, look, here's the deal. I've got money and I've got like a fuckload of it. And what I do is I give you money. And if it wins, I give you more. And if it hey, goes Adam, wrong, I'm, I'm going to hit you up later for an intro, if you don't mind. And then they were like, and then if it doesn't work out, I don't. And uh, and what you don't do is call me. Like, <laughs> like if it works, more money comes. If it doesn't work, eh, don't call me. If right. you need help figuring out what to do or you need somebody to sit on your side of the table or whatever, I'm not your guy. I'm I'm the money guy. And God bless him. Like, that was real clear. You know, like I understood that, <laughs> and that thesis. And that's, sort of, that's the honest thesis that a lot of people are applying and, and just not with that level of candor, but, yeah. but instead tricking themselves into thinking that they're going to add value along the way that isn't like monetary value. I mean, I got to tell you, I liked him. <laughs> I want like, an intro. I want an intro. Know, I think Ian it. wants an intro. Ian wants uh, this kind of, yeah, like what's uh, the do you do hard, hard work? Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, the title, the um, I, don't think, I don't know if he does. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about, though. Well, but but we've seen that also the polar opposite. I mean, literally had a VC say, "Look, you know, boy, like we, I love I love the fact that this is technically de-risked. We don't see market risk. You know, you don't see team risk. Honestly, the thing we're most concerned about oxide is is capital risk." And I'm like, "You're wait a minute, you're the venture cap. What? Wait a minute, you're the capital. You're the capital. That's the risk. That risk. That risk. That's the one you control. So I mean, kind of at the at the opposite end, it can be very frustrating. But I mean, that like that's." That step function, I think, gives rise to like some weirdness in terms of the way these things are funded, especially early, because it does require more diligence, more conviction early on, because you've got to be and more patience. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, um, you know, where I'm maybe a little more cynical is I, I don't think that I'm equipped as well as let's say um, Seth and his his partners at Eclipse to come in and really. Um, figure out what the market wants, what they're going to pay, how much I, I want there to be basically no market risk. Almost yeah, right. everything I invest in today falls into one of two categories. Either you're making a commodity cheaper and usually greener, or you're improving the standard of care. Like I know if you do one of those two things, you can sell it. Like the, you know, I want the question to be, do you want cancer or not? Would you like to pay double or half for your, you know, energy or commodities or whatever it is like right. i, I want to know that it is very clear on the other side of the technical risk the market is defined um rather than you know things where like you have to make a couple jumps or you have to know the market better because because uh, i feel like i often don't with the breadth of industry that we invest in 
Yeah, and so I actually, Ian, on that note, I've got kind of a stage-specific question for you because you and there are—you're not the only one. Root Ventures are a couple of these. You do seed stage hard tech, at which is pretty interesting to me because it's like the actual dollar figures. I mean, they are traditional kind of seed rounds, and oxide was unusual because we had a large MBA. Yeah, well, large tra- seed tra- traditional seed rounds, which today get called pre-seed, but right, yeah. Okay, but we're going to stop it at pre-seed, right? We're not going to allow pre-pre-seed. Is that right? Are we all going to kind of hold the line on that? Uh, Hell no. There's definitely going to be a pre-seed. <laughs> you can proceed pre-seed. <laughs> like a femto-seed, yeah. Femto-seed, yeah. It's like, what, what, where does it end? We, it, it, it I, has... I, I, did, I did recently hear a pitch for a post-pre-seed. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you <laughs> – I mean, how do you – I mean – and do you have to you have to assume that like look I assume you entrepreneur did not invent this term I assume I I hope I hope where who taught you that let's just let's just say you know first money in ish in the range of like you know one to five million yes right and so this is like not a big dollar figure for something that is going to be a huge swing you know nuclear power or curing cancer how do you kind of fit, what's your rubric because i mean part of the reason we didn't do that is because we knew it was going to take a lot more than that to get the mvp to market mm-hmm. and we wanted to be sure that we at the outset raised something that would allow us to get most of the way to market and get most of the, the, the technical most of, of it de-risked technically how i mean but that, for c that, that must be a very kind of different calculus i mean you must have what, what are the are the milestones that you're looking for for a hard tech company at the end of that investment because surely it's not revenue well i can tell you sort of like inception to like seed and series a and then and then seth and and uh sgb actually released something that i think is really helpful here but um oftentimes i'm i'm investing in like two founders maybe they've recently finished their phd or something and they're like hey we uh we think we can heat up iron ore much more efficiently such that we could uh create steel at at least cost parity and um with a lot less carbon emissions and maybe we capture the co2 that we do create uh so we get green steel that's cost parity maybe potentially cheaper down the road i'm like okay great that that plant eventually is going to cost you probably nine figures to build but on the first million you raise let's make sure that you've got that like core you know laser or whatever you're using to heat up the thing uh built and sort of the experimental risk taken off that once we prove that that base on which the cost reduction and, and carbon emissions reduction is coming down, then we can go raise a few million to maybe build like a pilot thing so you can make some initial steel powder or something that you can not necessarily steal or, or sell, but you can put in front of a customer and, and get them to say, yep, this is the stuff we're looking for. If it's X price, then you know we'll, we'll buy a bunch and here's a, here's a purchase order for it. And then you take that purchase order and you go out and you raise a Series A to hopefully build your first plant. I, I because we're relatively small investors, I do have some tolerances, an upper bound for how much capital is required before you can get meaningful revenue. For me, is sort of in the like fifty to hundred million dollar range. Okay. Um, yeah. But, right. I, but I've seen that done enough that I'm you know I'm 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 comfortable taking that kind of risk. Um, and then you know Series A and beyond. I, I let Seth comment on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, this this graph from I love Ian's post, this graph from his post is kind of what inspired me to do the work on our side to kind of write this companion piece alongside SVB. 
um, you know, you look at that, you know, once you get over the gap on, on having a product out there and the revenue opportunity, it's true. It's, it, it, it can be massive. The, you know, metrics around these business businesses can be fantastic in terms of the size of the opportunity, the net revenue retention, the lifetime value of the solution and the market, all this kind of stuff. But what inspired me to write this piece was, hey, how do entrepreneurs that are building in these categories understand that they're on the right track ahead of having commercial capability or a product in market? Um, and so, you know, we, we think that we're you know, okay at underwriting those types of, of companies and think we have a, a framework for for how to go do that in a cogent manner. And so this is this is what we tried to put together and, and put out to the to the ecosystem. I think the ecosystem in many ways is devoid of that type of um, you know, framework because one of the more common questions I get from entrepreneurs is, hey, what do you think, you know, my milestones need to look like, right? What do you think I need to hit in order to unlock a seed or a series A or a series B or a series C? And you know, this this piece and this framework that we put together is our attempt at trying to bring that level, level of clarity. Yeah, and I, I loved the rubric, uh, except the part where you want to like get the founders out and bring in professional management. I swear that was on there somewhere. I just like, <laughs> it, like it, I, I'm, it, I'm gonna look past that one. It's it certainly wasn't, but <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Oof, maybe you know I've been you know I'm twitching. I, 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 I'm too twitching. But can you talk a little bit about the rubric? Because I actually really like that rubric a lot. You know, it's it's. I don't think it's like a clear cut as you know clear cut and prescriptive as like you know your rule of forty or your growth rate. And, and, and frankly, a lot of the the commercial metrics apply to these businesses as well. But you know, I kind of think it across like <clears throat> three different vertices, right? Proof of concept, proof of demonstration, proof of value, and then kind of the core structural components of the organization encapsulated within you know milestones related to team and product and and, and market your understanding of the market and so I, w- I won't go hit all the bullet points right i think it's there for anybody who's curious to go to go look at but you know proof of concept and proof of demonstration is very much around hey do we, we built something you know it it works in 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 its totality it may not work at the performance level or the throughput level it may not have the cost that we ultimately want to have you know we may not have as many systems or the volume might not be there from a from a deployment perspective but we got happy comp- customers they're referenceable um and we've got the you know the beginnings of a team that's been able to build it you know or mar- market it sell it deploy it engineer it etc um and we're headed in the right direction and so you know again i won't get into all these things but um you know it's, it's there for anybody who wants to go check it out well, and that's valuable because I mean that. So the so proof of concept, proof of demonstration, proof of value. Am I getting that the ordering correct? Um, and so I mean, Ian, you're going to be coming in in that kind of proof of concept or pre that that kind of that earliest bits of turning this. Almost sounds like you're turning this to a certain degree from science into engineering in in those earliest stages. Is that a, is that a fair? Definitely. Okay. Um, and then and, I, I and, also gather. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I say, and, and uh, you know, Eclipse, Eclipse does as well, and we co-invest with Ian often, as well as um, taking some of these these larger capital capital required swings, a la Oxide. Well, and, so the other thing that I think that I, you know, I admire about both of you, and indeed the, the, all the hard tech VCs that I've encountered, is I mean, there's a, some common traits, especially around curiosity, and you know, not. I think it's a bit of a myth that everyone is curious. Um, and yes, you know, there are plenty of very curious people, but there are also people who are kind of incurious. 
And, you know, you both, I mean, even clearly like curiosity is a very important part of the, your own thesis because you've, in, you've investigated a bunch of these things such that if a, you know, someone coming to you talking about nuclear power or talking to you about some of these domains, you're like, okay, actually, I've already investigated some of these things. I know some of these things and I'm curious to learn more. Um, I mean, is, it, 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 is that what you see as well in terms of your fellow hard tech investors? Yeah, and I'm probably because we do bio, probably a, a little um, broader than s some of our peers. But um, yeah, I am. If anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, I am a hard five, which is sort of defined by uh, uh, pathological curiosity. Yeah, I just love. Yeah, I love pathological curiosity. You're gonna give, need to give me a moment on that one. I definitely, is, yeah, right. I feel I, maybe I've had pathological curiosity. You're actually you're beginning to explain some of my frayed relationships in my life. I think. Yeah, well, uh, go look up the enneagram. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, sort of you know, and I, I for people listening that don't know me already, I, I have a bachelor's in international relations. Like I, I didn't, I don't have any technical background. Um, I'm just fascinated by all these different fields, and and I. I tend to, um, it, it does limit the things that I look at. They're sort of, even within uh, climate tech, aerospace, tech bio, our three focus areas, um, there are things that I know enough about to ask decent questions and, and those that I, it sort of requires enough work that I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm not going to be the right investor for you. And then a, a founder their answer to those initial questions can help guide our diligence to make, we think, an informed decision on the company. So it is, it, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I love this job because I get to talk to the smartest people in the world and learn from them, but, um, you know, certainly uh, have bandwidth issues. Yeah, interesting. And Seth, how about for you? Because I mean, I think, I mean, it felt like, I'm not sure if this was true or not, but it felt like part of the reason that Eclipse was able to move so quickly and pr proceed uh, so diligently with respect to Oxide, it felt like you were waiting for Oxide, that someone at the partnership, whether it was you or someone else, is like, I, I feel like there's a company waiting out here, but maybe not. Um, 100%. Is that's, like, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, the, that's our only, I mean, everybody's money is green, right? So our only competitive advantage when meeting with wonderful entrepreneurs like you and Steve you know, is, is solidarity, right? And the understanding of what you're doing and the ability to like actually genuinely, you know, look at you and say, hey, I think we can help improve your odds of success here. And so we take the thesis development part of our job extremely seriously. Yeah, and I mean, saying no, saying no to a lot of areas, right? And so, um, you know, I, I was very familiar with what the Dropbox, Dropbox folks did, the challenge yeah. they faced there. You know, we followed Facebook's open compute project. We knew Amir. Right. And yeah, right, um, right. when you guys came in, it was like, you know, we were like, hell yeah, this company has to exist. Um, and I think that's a huge litmus test for us and has been since the inception of Eclipse. It's like, you know, I only want to work on things that I'm excited to get out of bed and go, you know, really scrap for. Right. Yeah. And it's been the next 10 to 15 years working on. It. And so there's a lot of great businesses and great people that we pass on because, you know, we we don't have the same level of conviction that we think is required to go partner you know, genuinely with those types of founders. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And certainly, I mean, and I think it, I mean, it does highlight, first of all, that you, that, you know, as a hard tech, not all hard tech investors are interested in all hard tech companies. And no, you, definitely not. 
and you're going to need to, that's why you'd, but I also, I've also found honestly, and I feel this is true. There's an analog here in the actual technology itself. I mean, Adam, I, I, I think it's fair to say that these, the kind of these hardware software interface kind of communities tend to be very, tend to be much more supportive than, than many other kinds of communities. I have found, I don't know if you found the same way. No, you, absolutely. I think I, it is, it has been a welcome surprise how, how, you know, how friendly and supportive and how much camaraderie there is uh, kind of in this broader ecosystem. Right. And I feel like I see the same thing on the capital side where hard tech VCs are really excited to be like, look, you're not a fit for me, but I want to help you out. I actually, I earnestly want to help you out as opposed to like, you know, how could I be harmful? It, 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 it's Listen, like, actually, it, 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 you know, it takes a village and there aren't enough of us. I mean, you, you look at, they're like, not, yeah. You know, there's never been a better time to go build these companies, and yet uh, not enough people and investors are saddling <laughs> up and endeavoring to go build these companies to go solve the hard, hard problems of our of our era. And the hard problems are out there, right? There is an abundance of, of of problems that exist in our in our country and in our world that need to be solved. And so, you know, what a everybody on this this space right now is in a privileged position to be sitting here on Twitter talking about these things. Um, and you know, whenever I, you know, that's, that's why folks like Ian and myself and some of the other, you know, groups out there, we work together to try to go help, help support the entrepreneurs that are building these types of solutions. Yeah. Well, and it's honestly, that has been, uh, I mean, I think, I feel like entrepreneurs are, are often very helpful to entrepreneurs or we try to be. And, and, you know, many of my fellow entrepreneurs have been super, super helpful. Um, and we try to return in kind, but I do find that like hard tech VCs tend to just be, and I, I, you know, I loved your blog entry in particular is like, Hey, by the way, like here are, you know, nine of the firms that are, that are, you know, w- that we look to co-invest with. And I feel like you don't see that all the time. And I, I feel like that it was it really genuinely, earnestly helpful, which is great as an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to give a shout out to, um, you know, the, the, the uh, firm that focuses on sort of the same areas and, and is pre-seed or one of the small handful um, that we get compared to a lot are our friends over 50 years. And, you know, we, Seth and I, when we were raising our latest funds, sometimes LPs would be familiar enough that they'd be like, Hey, you know, what do you consider yourself competitive with, or how do you compete with Cantos for 50 years? And, uh, you know, Seth and I were like having breakfast together one morning and laughing about this. And he was like, you know, how I've started responding. It's pronounced collaborator. <laughs> right. Huh? Wait, like what? Very rarely, very rarely in in zero sum games. Like we we need we need more funding for these types of companies. And and yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, a satellite company that we invested in last year, I was introduced to by Seth, and he said, "Hey, I, you know, I like these founders. Um, we don't necessarily have a have a strong thesis on like this this area of orbital infrastructure, but it seems like something you'd like." And he was totally right. Ended up investing. Um, and are in the process of investing more now in, in their series a um and you know as you as you mentioned i'm cantos is not an investor in oxide i'm just a fan of what you guys are doing and you know have been have been uh uh friends so um no it's it definitely is is a lot of fun but i would encourage others to jump in because the water's warm and we need more funding we need more fun and we and i think and you we, i think you mean that and Seth, you touched on this earlier like you mean that in the broadest sense like we humanity need more funding i mean the 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 reality is that 
that venture capital has played a, a critical role in innovation, commercial innovation, in the, in the latter half of the 20th century and into the 21st century. It's like it it plays a pivotal role. We need it, and we need it to step up and actually be through venture capital it's it, it is not like if you want to like if, if you are interested in a pure financial instrument this is probably not the right asset class for you and i so seth on that note what do you look for in someone who is like you know let's say eclipse is, is going to expand is going to add someone to the team what do you look for actually in someone who is like this person is going to have what it takes to be a hard tech venture capitalist well, I think I think it's public that. Oh God, he just muted himself right sorry, out. Sorry, I just, I just, I was just. Oh no, it's like, like no, 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 my, my, no, no, yeah, my heart races because Twitter Spaces has so many problems. No, we just so we just uh, we're we're bringing on a new partner at Eclipse. Uh, we do it every every few years. This guy's name is Charlie Mwangi. He's uh, fantastic. If you haven't met him, you, you should. I'd be happy to introduce you. He's like a prototypical uh, example of like what we're looking for. You know, he's. Um, you know, came, uh, grew up in, in Kenya originally, you know, had a bunch of experience operating through automotive OEMs, Nissan, and, hmm. and I think uh, Toyota and a few other places, um, joined Tesla and actually worked for my partner, Greg Ryko. Um, so cut his teeth kind of, you know, in the, in the epicenter of that crazy time from about 2012 to 2017 or 18, um, you know, along the way, you know, was advising startups. Um, traditionally companies are building these types of, you know, hard tech oriented solutions, um, did a tour of duty at cloud kitchens, you know, was a part of growing that and scaling that. And, and more, more recently was the VP of engineering at Rivian for the last three years. Oh, so, wow. You know, and, what a and hire. I, that's, a, that's a good get. He's a good guy. But what I like to say about this guy, right, is, is, you know, on his, in his spare time, he likes to, you know, analyze 10 Ks and learn about great business models and all this kind of mm. stuff. He's a deeply curious individual, as well as being like a consummate operator who's like battle tested through some really challenging, um, you know, efforts to ship complex products. And so, um, you know, you should have, you should want people, we want to bring people to Eclipse that have strong opinions on the world that aren't afraid to operate with conviction that know what they don't know and are willing to admit, <laughs> admit what they don't know. Uh, but m most importantly, have the utmost desire to get on the same side of the table, like I said before, with people that are trying to solve hard, significant problems and, and dig in deeply to go help them be successful. Yeah, that's interesting. So you are, I mean, part of what you're looking for then, and it, yeah, that's exciting. What a, what a great hire for Eclipse. I hadn't heard about it, but it seems like, seems like a, a perfect add to the team. Um, but someone who, especially at Rivian, I mean, but at a bunch of those stops, but has solved real hard problems. And I mean, that's someone as, as an entrepreneur solving a hard problem, you, like that kind of voice on the other side of the table is one that you're going to pay really sharp attention to. This someone who's been there, who's actually dealt with setbacks and disappointment and persisted and so on. I mean, that, that that's, uh, that experience seems like it's extraordinarily valuable. And certainly we see that where you, people don't have that experience. It, 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 they have a hard time understanding what it means. And actually, you know what, honestly, the, the folks that don't have that experience are actually more afraid than they should be. This is where you get the hardware is hard people, you know, where it's like, yeah, actually, I mean, if, you had, if you had more experience in this, you'd be less afraid of it. And you know that like, unless you're trying to do net new invention, right. Which kind of like, I'm not smart enough to predict when lightning's going to strike in that area that like these are solvable problems, right. We can focus with the right people to go 
you know, solve through a lot of these technical issues, right? I mean, I've been had a front row seat to the wonderful work that you and your team have done over the last 12 to 18 months. You guys tackled some hairy problems, right? So <laughs> there's going to be more going forward. Oh, God. That care deeply about what they're doing. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, human ingenuity and great teams coming together to go do things of, of significance. You know, and I, I just... I, I love that like fundamental optimism. And again, you hit it on it on your piece that like, I think it is the, the, coupled with that curiosity, that optimism that like, and, and you know, you got to it too, in terms of like these taking these big problems, being a force for good, curing, you know, curing li- your literal cancer. I, I think that that is because I, I, you know, I'm such a, I'm so long on humanity and sometimes it feels like I, it can be a lonely voice. People get very pessimistic and it's like, we're really, we've got great ingenuity. Um, so I think it's great to hear Seth. I want to give people some hope um, that there is uh, light at the end of the, the financing tunnel. If you, if you manage to um, de-risk the technology and then prove revenue and positive unit economics there there is capital out there it's it's i think the you know series a b if if you don't have meaningful revenue yet the series c it's that range that is the hardest but um we were sort of we know ian we know we're right here (laughs) i can hear you in general terms (laughs) oh sorry uh, pressing company excluded Um, but you know, companies that would get, you know, I started investing not, not too too long ago, but the first companies that would get to that, to that series B, C, C stage, when they began to have at least firm purchase orders, um, to the tune of a hundred million plus, we we were having trouble raising from, you know, quote unquote, West coast VCs. And then we sort of like start tearing our hair out and they're like, well, you know, I got this trip to New York plan to visit some customer or whatever, why don't I try and set up some meetings with wall street and see how it goes. And to our surprise, they were like, wait, what the heck is deep tech? I've never heard of that. This is, you know, this is chemicals. This is aerospace. This is, you know, this industry that we've got a whole groups that cover. We know how this works. We, you know, this, this is great. Let's do it. You know, we'll invest tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And you're like, wait, what? It's kind of at first that wall street understood it better than sand Hill did. But then you remember you know, you're, you're, you have revenue in industrials. They have more experience there than Santel Road does. Yeah, absolutely, Eddie. And it's so funny you should say this because we have definitely seen the same thing in, and even if, and we've seen it over and over and over again. Um, and I wonder, so I've got a kind of something I want to bounce off both of you because we have seen it, Stephen, I've seen it so many times that, and in fact, when we most recently saw it, it's like, it's coming from folks that have a, a, that are ultimately like we're born on the public equity side. So these were public equity hedge funds, what have you. And they have, as you say, Ian, they've got teams on aerospace. They've got teams on all these dimensions. So when those folks begin to go onto the private side, it's like, yeah, we've like, we understand these industries. Like we've got whole folks that work on it. And the questions being asked, the conviction that they have just seems so. Yeah. We've seen the exact same thing. Is it, did you think that having that, that public equities, kind of origin story helps them understand these industries a little bit better. Once you get yeah, to the yeah. point where you, you've got, you know, at least sure. finding purchase orders or revenue. To- totally. I mean, obviously like once you cross the chasm, but I feel like they, they are ready for you to cross the chasm. Unlike some Sand Hill Hunt. folks like, 
I, like, I don't think there is another side of the chasm. Like, fuck. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're ready and waiting. I mean, you go talk to, I mean, there are smart people covering these yeah. types of categories at Bailey Gifford and Fidelity and, you know, Capital Group and these types of areas that, you know, if they see something that they're interested in, they have the capacity to go write hundred to $500 million kind of like exploration bets, right. And in, in pre IPO companies that have, that have crossed the chasm. So, and they do deep work and they're well-informed and they take a 20 year view and they're part, you know, very partnership oriented. So the capital is out there for sure. And, you know, I would say, you know, there's a, there's, there's capital, you know, from seed to series C, um, certainly from, from us, from your friends, from your neighbor, neighborhood friendly VCs, <laughs> over Eclipse, right. but, but also from other folks as well. And so, you know, I think, you know, what Ian and I are really trying to do with some of these, you know, uh, posts we're putting out is like help bring more clarity and more focus to what's required so that entrepreneurs in these spaces can use their capital efficiently, not overly dilute themselves and get across that chasm in an expeditious manner. Yeah, well, and it was, it's Seth, again, the piece I thought was great. Ian, I loved your piece as well. Um, Just terrific to read. I think it's, it's inspiring for hard tech entrepreneurs to know that there absolutely are venture capitalists and they're going to ask you tough questions. It doesn't mean that like, again, not every, you know, there are plenty of science projects out there that, that are probably not venture businesses, but um, I think it's really, really helpful for folks to know um, that the, these firms very much do exist. They, and I love your disposition of like, hey, we want more people to invest in the sector. Like on the one hand, I love you. You're just like, oh, look, I'm willing to like, I like being contrarian and all, but like I could use some company over here actually. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, which is great. So, I, you know, we, we try to keep you to about an hour. I'm not sure if other folks want to jump in with, with, with questions for this, this crew. I mean, obviously you've got two terrific venture capitalists here but at, at uh, albeit at slightly different stages but who love to co-invest but th- th- this is um it's honestly been um great to have you both here so uh Seth, have you any any closing thoughts from from you or from ian or yeah, adam you want to jump here th- yeah thanks thanks for having us uh appreciate what you guys do with this space and um you know anybody ever wants to chat feel free to reach out yeah, and I would say that also, if I can just give a plug for b- both Eclipse uh, and uh, and Cantos have podcasts um, that, like I, I actually love them both. <laughs> I know that the uh, I love these because I you're talking to generally you're talking to your portfolio companies. And I, I mean, I, you know, obviously we view uh, Cerebra Seth as kind of a sibling company in the Eclipse portfolio. There's a great episode that you all have um, talking to Andrew Feldman um, that I loved. Very inspiring stuff. I know you've got a, a bunch on that series. Um, I would encourage Seth. I hope you guys are, are going to keep making those. Ian, I hope you're going to continue doing your podcasts because um, I know that there are listeners out there that really enjoy them. Entrepreneurs that are inspired by them. Uh, Ian, I love the one on Dusty Robotics I listened to recently. I thought that was super interesting. Oh, um, Tess is amazing. I strongly recommend any hardware founders to listen to, to that interview. Yeah. I, I thought, and Adam, I don't know. I mean, I, Adam, I can't have you, I don't know if you, you can. No, no, no I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm rapidly subscribing right now. <laughs> right. They there's, are. There's this industrial evolution, Eclipse Ventures podcast. Ours is Near Frontier. You can go to nearfrontier.com. And, you know, I just like I said, I, I hope that you continue to make them because I know that like the, the the listenership for this doesn't always feel large, but it's important. And I think it's it, it, those are the kinds of things. That's the kind of content that people it's so valuable to hear from 
hard tech investors and hard tech entrepreneurs. So thank you for that, Seth. Thanks for the content. I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the, it's the first of a series, apparently. I can't wait to see the rest. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I should say like, we're, we're trying to bring a little bit more, you know, structural operational thinking to, to kind of this, this series, we're calling it the industrial tech tactics series. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff, you know, on the, on the horizon that you should keep an eye out for. Awesome. Can't wait. Um, Ian, Seth, thank you both so much for, for being here. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, and hopefully the first of a couple will be, be, be oh, great. To, yeah. yeah I mean, with, with, let's go get, you know, get a, a bunch more hard tech VCs out here. And uh, this is a, an asset class that we all think that more people should be investing in. So, Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks. 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 Bye. Bye, all.